Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to back to episode 352A, our second chance. Um, I had a slight technical difficulty. I had to do some reprogramming on the fly. I apologize for that. But we're back. We're ready. Everything's fixed. And we're going to be with you guys for the next two hours talking about Star Trek Picard, Dark Veil, which is why we played the Picard theme song at the top of the show rather than our usual theme song. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, and with me as usual are my truck experts. We'll start out with Charles. He's out in Las Vegas. How are you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing good. Got to deal with the heat now. Our summer's finally here. That's uh, we good. Got we 90s. love it. We got, a high, we got a high 90s today, but they're saying either Monday or Tuesday we'll see our first 100. We might see about 100 on Monday, maybe 104 on Tuesday. So we get a bit of a warm stretch coming in, but we're used to it. That's that's being in the desert. You get that this time of year. Wow. And uh, we also have with us Eric. Eric's out in Portland. How you doing tonight, Eric? I am doing fantastic. It's another beautiful day in Portland. A little rainy, uh, but the rain brings the green and the awesome spring. So uh, I'm all about it. Uh, and it just it makes the air smell so good too, which is one of the things I really, really like about the Northwest. The rain just makes everything smell great. So yeah, but you know, Charles, we've got some 90s coming next week, which is our version of your hundreds. So uh, not looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and our 80s are your version of 100 here, so. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to be talking about Dark Veil, which is the second book in the Star Trek Picard series, and uh, that follows the USS Titan under the command of William Riker and his awesome wife, Deanna Troy, and they're patrolling the Romulan neutral zone. And, of course, if the Romulans are involved, you know, there's going to be some uh, all kinds of hijinks going on. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. If you haven't read the book, 
Um, maybe you want to go away for a little while, read it real quick and come back, hang out with us for the next hour or so. And then when we start talking about the book, you can uh, run away and then come back to listen to what we had to say about the book after you've read it. So there will be spoilers. You have been warned. And David, I apologize for the little inconvenience that we had at the top of the show. That was my fault in programming the show. I apologize to everybody for that, but everything should be fine from this point on. So not only are we going to talk about Dark Veil, but we have a lot of Star Trek news to talk about. And uh, we're going to be talking about Nichelle Nichols and how she changed the face of NASA. Jet Reno is going to be back on Star Trek Discovery Season 4, and we'll see what Tignatero has to say about that. Also, Anson Mount talks about what it's like to work on Strange New Worlds under the COVID restrictions that are uh, going on up in Toronto. We also have Star Trek birthdays, fan shout-outs around the globe, and our top cities. We have over 51,121 followers on our Facebook page. If you'd like to be one of our followers, just head over to our Facebook page at Trek Talking and Beyond. Spell that all out, A-N-D, Beyond, and you'll, you'll find us. You'll see the Vulcan symbol at the top of the page. Um, just click on that. And tell us where you're listening from. If you see a heart next to your name from Trek Talking, that means I've chosen you. And you're going to be mentioned individually on a fan shout out in the future. Eric, what do we have going on around the globe? Well, as always, about three quarters of our listeners hail from the United States where we all broadcast from. But topping our international listeners, if you can believe it setting yet another record with 6.03% of our listeners, we have the United Kingdom. So folks from the UK, wow, thank you for stepping it up, uh, for continuing to bring more listeners to our podcast. We just, we don't know where you're all coming from, but uh, we really, really appreciate it. Uh, we must be doing something right. Uh, we would love to all hang out and have a beer with y'all. <laughs> but uh, uh, just keep bringing more because we love, love that we have so many folks from the UK. So thank you for being our number one international listener. Uh, in our number two spot, though, and been here for quite a while, uh, we have our brothers and sisters from Down Under, Australia, with 4.14% of our listeners. Thank each and every one of you, too, for downloading or listening live to our show. In our number three international spot, we have our brothers and sisters to the north, Canada, with 3.12% of our listeners. That is up, uh, you know, a pretty decent amount from last week. So we're continuing to gain more listeners in Canada. So thank you very much uh, for continuing to support Trek Talking. In our number four spot, we have Norway. They came out of nowhere a few months ago, and they have been holding steady in our number four spot. They still have 2.15% of our listeners captured within their Scandinavian country. So thank you so much for being part of our family. And in our number five spot, we have Germany with 1.23% of our listeners. So thank you one and all to all of our listeners, both international and domestic. We appreciate every single one of you. And uh, just so excited that we have reach all over the globe. Is it, isn't it great, Jim? Isn't it great to know that we touch lives everywhere? You know what? It's so much more than I ever, when I started doing this with Ken five or six years ago, I never thought that I'd be here with 51,000 people listening in Scandinavia and the UK and, and, you know, here in the U S as well. And being invited to the, to the Star Trek Las Vegas 55 year anniversary Star Trek celebration as well. It's, it's been like, like an incredible ride and I'm so happy uh, to be on it. So, yeah. And you know what though? It, It couldn't do it without you guys. 
I mean, really, we're a team. There's no I in team. And uh, I couldn't be doing this without you guys. So thank you so much for making the show so popular with all the listeners out there. It's, it's great. It really is great. And, and, pleasure. And, and you know what? We have local listeners, don't we, Charles? In both of yeah, our yeah, channels. <laughs> now, I think it's about where Portland, Portland and Vegas were last week. Portland's 21st with Eric. Vegas is 17th with me. And the top 10 hasn't seen any changes so far. So I was looking and it's like, it's still surprising of top, our top 10 cities. Only four of them are in the United States. Wow. That tells That's us we cool. got international. <laughs> yeah. Because we got San Pablo, Brazil, San Antonio, Texas, Brisbane, Queensland, Australia, Chicago, Illinois, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, Los Angeles, California, Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, Sydney, South Wales, Australia, London, UK, and New York City in New York. What That's a diverse awesome. crowd that is. Yeah. Yeah, we have we have those are our major cities and uh, our, our major countries, but we also have individual fans that stop by on our Facebook page and say hello. You see the live long and prosper on the top of the page. Just drop by there. Tell us where you're listening from. Every week I pick 15 lucky people. If you see a heart next to your name, that means I chose your name and you're going to have an individual fan shout out on our next podcast. So Eric, why don't you start us off with our fan shout outs for this week? You bet. Our number one fan shout-out this week goes to Daniel, uh, Daniel Mora Malinado from Monclova, Mexico, uh, which I think is so cool. We do not uh, have a lot of folks, uh, I think, in our past from Mexico interacting on the Facebook page, so it's really cool to have Daniel here with us. So thank you for listening. Uh, we're also saying hello and uh, saying thank you so much for listening to Jero Justin from the Netherlands. We're also saying hello to John P. Bellinger from Buckinghamshire, England. And our, my last fan shout-out goes to top fan Peter Kirsch from Schwabish ALB. I'm not sure what that means. Uh, that might be a country with which I am unfamiliar. I'll have to go look that up. Charles. ALB, is that, is that Albania, I, I, maybe? Oh, maybe that's Albania, yeah. I, I, that's but it's like a German yeah. It looks like a German name, so I'm wondering if this is maybe like a province in Germany or something. I'm not – I'm sorry, Peter. I didn't have a chance to look it up before the show, but uh, better believe I'm going to be looking up Schwabish ALB and figuring out where that is. <laughs> Thank you for listening. <laughs> Charles, who's on your list this week? Well, I got top fan Aaron Ford from good old Australia down under. Der Cut from Germany, Berlin. Cora Burke hails from the UK. Kimberly Ball hails from San Antonio, Texas. Ah, I hope you got over the rain from last week. And Joyce Shore from Missouri, USA. Jim, how about you? So I want to say hello to our top fan, Warren Anthony Day, who's listening to us in Essex, England. Thank you so, so much. 
Also, top fan Pia Konstin from Finland. Thank you for listening as well. And Edward Fuchs, who says, I live in Roshapina, Israel, but I'm originally from New York City, New York. When Voyager first aired, I was watching it in the USA, but then I moved to Israel and, of course, missed most of the seasons of Voyager. I watched reruns of some episodes from websites on and off, but never completed the series until Netflix arrived in Israel. And now, after 21 years, I am at the beginning of Season 7 of Voyager for the first time. It feels like a light year has passed, but I'm finally coming home with the Voyager with love. Wow, that's an awesome story, Edward. And I feel your pain, although I didn't move to Israel. I moved from New York to Vermont. We did not have a UPN station here in Vermont. So I saw the first three seasons of Voyager and then missed the next four. Uh, And I have gone back and caught them in reruns as well. So I understand your pain. And thank you so much for listening and for sharing your story. We also want to say hello and thank you to Sue Salmon Holmes Mock from Brisbane, Australia. And last but not least, um, I have to give a shout out. This is the first time that somebody from my home has been on here. Um, Michael Warner from Milton, Vermont. Welcome to Trek Talking. Welcome to the family. Uh, I saw his name pop up on our Facebook page, and I was like, wow, I definitely have to give him a fan shout out because I very rarely get to uh, give a fan shout out to somebody from Vermont. So, Michael, represent Kapla. And those are our fan shout outs. And now we're going to do our Star Trek birthdays. was not a Klingon song. So we always start off our birthdays with remembrances of those who are no longer with us, but are members of our Star Trek family. This week, we have a special one. And the reason, it's special for a lot of reasons, for me personally. And uh, usually we have Eric uh, do this, but I want to start off with this one because it is so special to me. So when I first started doing this podcast, oh, in 2015, the very first actor that we had the opportunity to interview on this podcast was Richard Hatch, uh, Apollo from Battlestar Galactica, a show that I grew up watching as a kid and love to this day. Uh, he also was uh-huh. on the new Battlestar Galactica um, as um, Help Me, Charles, Eric. Um, was it oh, him? yeah, Tom Zarek. Zarek on the new Battlestar Galactica. And uh, he played Commander Kern, or Karn in Axanar, prelude to Axanar. Um, and it was so much fun to interview him on the podcast. He was a great, great guy. He was so open, so friendly. Uh, he loved the fans. And he loved our theme song as well. And uh, it, was a, it was just a joy to talk to him. I, and I posted the link to that interview on our Facebook page, so if you guys want to go back and listen to it, give it a listen. It's it's really it's old. It's the first time I got the opportunity to talk to an actor on this podcast, and uh, it was a blast. So Richard Hatch uh, is being remembered today, and he's definitely 
um, not forgotten but missed. So happy birthday to Richard Hatch, and thank you for all the great memories. And Eric, you can take it away now. Yeah, I'll just follow that up, Jim. I, I, I'll just say Battlestar Galactica was also a pretty good part of, of my childhood, too. It was one of the first sci-fi shows that I ever fell in love with. And, of course, Star Wars came out around the same time. So it was. It, I felt like I was bathed in sci-fi awesomeness as a very, very young kid. So Richard Hatch is somebody who I've been uh, following for quite some time. So, yeah, happy birthday to him. Yeah. Uh, our next yeah, room. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, you know, here I was growing up between Star Wars, Star Trek, and Battlestar Galactic. That's like it was a great time to grow up with all that sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. Cool that they brought him back on the newer Battlestar Galactica too. Todd Tom Zarek character was a great one, so um, he really got to you know make his mark on that franchise. So happy birthday, Richard Hatch. Uh, our next remembrance this week goes out to Booker Bradshaw, who played Dr. Mbenga uh, in the TOS episodes That Which Survives and A Private Little War. You would absolutely recognize this gentleman, uh, famous for both of those episodes, uh, and plays a pretty decent part in both of them. So happy birthday, uh, and we miss you to Booker Bradshaw. Our next remembrance goes out to Sarah Marshall, who played Dr. Janet Wallace in the TOS episode The Deadly Years. Uh, another doctor on our list. So uh, we're starting out this week with two doctors, uh, and Sarah Marshall did a great job in that in that role as well uh, in the Deadly Years, which they of course later made a follow-up to uh, in fan uh, films uh, that you know our good friend Pavel Chekhov got to got to make a reappearance in. Happy birthday, Sarah Marshall. We're also saying happy birthday to Stephen Mines, who played Lieutenant Robert Tomlinson in the TOS episode. Balance of Terror. Uh, we all know about that episode, and uh, Stephen Mines is, uh, you know, one of the beautiful blue-eyed uh, <laughs> crew members of the Enterprise uh, from that episode. So happy birthday to Stephen. We're also saying happy birthday to Paul Winfield. Uh, he played the character Captain Clark Terrell in Star Trek II. He also played Captain Dathan in TNG's uh, Darmok, which is an episode that I just rewatched the other day. Still, still one of my very, very favorite episodes of TNG. Um, and he's just, he's just amazing in that episode. And, you know, he, I think it's Terrell. That's where everybody kind of knows him from is Star Trek II. Uh, poor guy gets a bug in his ear. <laughs> but... Uh, but his performance in TNG is the one that really resonates with me. So uh, we miss Paul Winfield. He was a heck of an actor and, um, and definitely somebody who made a stamp, at least on my Star Trek uh, life. Uh, we're also saying happy birthday and sending our love and remembrances out to David Hillary Hughes, who played the character of Trefay in the TOS episode Errand of Mercy, one of the, uh, you know, one of the real shining stars of TOS. We're also saying happy birthday to Angela Patton, who played Aunt Ada in the Voyager episode, The Caretaker. We're saying happy birthday to John Miranda, who played Garbageman number two in Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. Uh, that's, that's quite a role. I love that. <laughs> but you know what? If you can get yourself into Star Trek, man, do it. <laughs> He's got quite a few other credits to his name as well. Um, we're saying happy birthday to John Abbott, who played the character Eilborn from uh, the TOS episode, Errand of Mercy, another uh, 
another character from that episode and just uh he's the gentleman that kind of has that uh salt and pepper uh gray beard uh in that episode you would definitely recognize him he's the chamberlain i think is what they call him something like that um so happy birthday to john abbott we're also saying happy birthday to ann haney uh who played the character rishan uxbridge in tng's episode the survivors and also played els renora in the DS9 episode, Dax. Um, so a couple of really solid Star Trek credits there. I, I feel like there's one missing, though. Isn't there, was the Survivors, oh, yeah, the Survivors is the one where it's just the two people on the planet, and she ends up being, oh, wait, that's a spoiler. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> and our final remembrance this week goes out to somebody who, uh, anybody who's anybody who knows anything about Star Trek probably uh, knows who this gentleman is, the original Captain, Captain Christopher Pike, uh, Jeffrey Hunter uh, from The Cage. Um, you know, we, he, of course, starred in The Cage, but the first time that any of us ever saw him was in The Menagerie, uh, of course, with the reused footage from The Cage, and then later they would release The Cage as its own episode. So, um, you know, Captain Christopher Pike has been played now by at least three actors. Jeffrey Hunter is the original. He did a great job. Um, personally, I'd love to see a follow-up on the Venus story, you know? There's, there's got to be some un, uh, some unexplored territory there. Uh, I'd love to know more about her, but uh, happy birthday and, and our love and remembrances go out to one heck of an actor, uh, Jeffrey Hunter, for Captain Christopher Pike. And, Girls, well, Jim, are well, we before, at the time? Just about, which is perfect we are. segue, because let's when, when Jeffrey Hunter was offered the role, um, his wife made him turn it down because his wife thought that, that Star Trek was a silly sci-fi show and he was a serious actor, so he turned down the role. Hence, we got William Shatner. However, Jeffrey Hunter died in 1969. So how do you think Star Trek would have been different had Jeffrey Hunter accepted the role and, you know, did Captain Kirk during the the TV show because he died in 69? I'm not sure if it was before or after the show wrapped, but let's assume it was after the show wrapped. Then we would have gone into the movies without our captain. How do you think that would have changed Star Trek as we know it? Just mm, had a new crew member replaced. Having, having, well, yeah, Eric, let's say this. How do you end up going from doctor to doctor? You get new people. Yeah. You get a new person. Yeah. Or even yeah. Um, I Love Jeannie. I think they went through a couple of Darrens in there. So. Yeah. True. I, you I, know, I, think that. The, I think the role of Captain Kirk would have been really fundamentally different. I mean, the lines may have all been yeah. the same, but I, I really believe that the writers would have written differently for Jeffrey Hunter than they would have for William Shatner, simply because they both of those actors come from completely different backgrounds, both have completely different strengths. Um, and, you know, it would have been... You know what I am glad they did, though? I'm glad that they took Spock the direction that they did because he yeah. felt a little underdeveloped to me in the cage, and, of course, they've done some excellent retconning with that through Discovery. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it, well, it would have been a totally different game with Jeffrey Hunter at the helm for sure. Yep, the thing is, we would, have, we would have never had Shatner says, what? Yeah, I know. That's, that's true. true. Uh, we would have never had that. Never had that if we hadn't had Chatner. 
What are you talking about, Charles? And that's the thing, right? We wouldn't be able to make fun of that. And, you know, we probably would have never had, like, the speaking poetry of William Shatner and, you know, all of the wonderful things that we did yeah. get from Captain Kirk yeah. and the fallout from him. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad that things went the way they did. And, look, we have Anson Mount, the awesome Anson Mount, who's going to be playing Captain Pike in Strange New Worlds, which I'm so excited for myself. So listen, guys, like we have to take our first commercial break of the evening, but don't don't worry, we'll be back. Actually, we're not actually really going to go anywhere this time uh, because we need to talk about something right now, really briefly. Uh, the Star Trek 55-year convention in Las Vegas um, at the Rio Grande Suites Hotel. Um, they have over 109 guest stars that are going to be be there. One of them is going to be the one and only Leslie Hoffman. And of course, yours truly, Uncle Jim, is going to be there because Truck Talking has been invited. And we're going to be a podcast, a fan podcast, actually. I think Charles can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we're the only fan podcast at the convention that I saw. There are three podcasts that will be at the show. But the Uh, other two are professional. Enterprise yeah. Incidents, which I've never followed, and Inglorious Trekspurts, which I have not followed. Yeah, those, those are um, our professional podcasts. Um, we're just a fan podcast, which I think sets us apart. So I think we'll be, so, the, we'll be the only fan podcast there. Right. And you guys, you guys can meet me, you can meet Leslie, and you can meet Charles, because uh, Charles, you're going to be joining us there on what day? Uh, hopefully I'll work it in where I'll make sure I'm there for the regular show on Thursday. And then I'll see what I, I may do go ahead and do Thursday evening, Friday evening and the weekend. All right. So you, you guys can, can bop on by, find us in the dealer's room, uh, get an autograph from Leslie, say hello. You won't be able to touch my bat lift though, because I won't be bringing it with me this time, unfortunately. But you can get your tickets and buy more information at, entertain, at creationentertainment.com. There's a link right there for the show. Click on it. Check it out. And if you plan on being there, stop by and say hello. Also, we're trying to raise some money so that we can get out there and, and have some nice swag, some T-shirts, bumper or uh, keychains to give out to you guys, uh, get some new mics so that we can be professional. And we need your help to do that. So you guys can go to our Facebook page and you'll see a GoFundMe that's been set up there. And anything that you can do to help us, we would really appreciate it. You know, with 51,000 people, a dollar from a a small handful of you guys will make this happen. And uh, we really want to make this happen and we really want to make it special. It's an opportunity for us to, to take that next step. And, of course, we'll take all of you guys with us. So the more more uh, exposure that we get, the more popularity that we get, uh, the bigger guest stars that we can bring on the show and the bigger the topics we can cover. So please help us out if you can. We'd really appreciate it. And without any further ado, back to our regularly scheduled programming. So this is where we continue with our Star Trek birthdays. And we were right up to our very own Charles, and uh, he's got his batch of birthdays to cover. So, Charles, who's on your list? Okay, well, let's start off with Shirley Boone, who played the character Ruth in the TLS episode 
store lead. Susan Dial played Carmen Via in TNG's episode Silicon Aviator and also played Dr. Dan Rappel in the Voyager episode Life Science and Resolution. Cecil Cannon played Piera in Voyager's Emanation. Lucetta Van Vander played Duran Tao in Voyager's The Disease. Taylor Sheraton played Jerob in Enterprise's Chosen Realm. Alex Kentoff played Dr. Nicholas in Star Trek IV. Now, I threw, that, I threw that one in there just for you. You might, you guys might not think you know this guy, but Charles, tell them who this guy is. I'm not familiar myself. I transparent aluminum. How about? Uh, yeah, he's the transparent aluminum guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. He's done like the. Yeah. Which means that's when we had to have Alexis be able to respond to "Hello, computer." Yes, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Computer. <laughs> Use the mouse. Hello, computer. That's, right. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a great scene, and uh, you know, Doctor Nichols, I think, is a character that people might not know his name, but they'll know the character and the scene from the movie. And uh, being how Star Trek Four. It's one of your favorite movies. I had to throw that one in there for you. Definitely a good one to throw in there. And then Jim left me a couple of good ones at, my bo- at the bottom of my list. Michael Chabon, known for a couple of little short films called Short Trek, including Calypso and Q&A. And was involved with the cars even once. Yeah, and if and if you've uh, never read the Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, and you like comic books at all, and feel like reading a really good novel about a couple kids and comic books, uh, that's where I first became familiar with him. You should definitely check that out. And then in you the got, last you got one, H, one more. H. John Benjamin played Edward Larkin. And you say, wait a minute, Subcommander, who was that? What if I say Star Trek The Trouble with Edward? Yep. Our final (laughs) scientist who is getting a little overboard with experiments with Tribble. You know, I heard that they taste like scallops. When you shave all the fur off, they taste like a scallop. (laughs) (laughs) He, he was called a name, but he probably deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> that was a I great episode. I think called several names. <laughs> he was. <laughs> but by the Especially when you had a oh. derelict ship heading towards the Klingon Empire. Full of tribbles. Yeah, that, that, that puts the pressure on. Full of tribbles. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed that episode myself. I thought it was great. <laughs> It was pretty good. It really was. And my friend David absolutely loves Tribbles, so um, that one's for you, David, uh, the trouble with Edward. 
Yeah, that was a good one. Okay. I bet Jim's got a few of them, including I bet that first one is a bit special to him today. Yeah, and uh, we want to say happy birthday to Ann C- uh, C- uh, Cusack. Cusack. played Maggie in Enterprise's episode Carbon Creek, which I just watched yesterday. Um, great episode. I know Enterprise takes a lot of flack and a lot of fans hate on it, but you know what? There are a lot, and I mean a lot, of gems in the rough. And if you give it a chance and go back and watch it, you're going to find some really, really spot-on Star Trek episodes buried amongst the four seasons of Enterprise. And Carbon Creek is definitely one of them. I highly recommend you go and watch it. So happy birthday to Ann Cusack. Um, the next one is Yadira Guevara Prep, who played Poe in Star Trek Discovery. We, we first saw her in the short trek. Um, uh, what was the name of that episode? Uh, Runaway. I, the Runaway, Runaway, yeah, that's right. And then uh, she later came back in the season finale and uh, saved the day. So we actually saw her character twice, so happy birthday. We also want to say happy birthday to Ray Burke, who played Ren in the TNG episode Haven. That was the episode where they had the, t- the ship full of lepers that was flying through space towards this planet called Haven, and they wanted to set yeah. up a little colony and, and die in peace. And in that same episode, Deanna Troy was going to get married to this dude who uh, was, was promised to her at birth. And uh, that's when we learn about her relationship with Riker and Deanna Troy shows up, and her mother shows up. We see Loaxana for the first time. Uh, first season episode, but it's a lot of fun. So happy birthday to Ray Burke. We also want to say happy birthday to Patrick Corgan, who played Enig in the TOS episode Patterns of Force. He was the head Nazi evil dude in that episode. Again, you guys would recognize him if you saw him. Um, so happy birthday. Uh, the next one, we want to say happy birthday to Lee Merriweather, who played Lasara in the TOS episode Bat Witch Survives. Um, she was the lady that would touch you and uh, suck out your cells. But mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of people will know her from another role. She played Catwoman yes. in Batman. Oh. So, um, yeah. Happy birthday. Like, Batman, <laughs> I have to tell you guys that, like, Star Trek reruns and Batman reruns were the two things that were on in the afternoon in the late 70s. <laughs> and I watched so many episodes of the old Batman show, and I'm very familiar with Lee Merriweather, and uh, she may have been my first crush as a very, very young child. Her and uh, Natasha from Rocky and Bullwinkle. <laughs> yeah, you know, I used to run home from school at 4 o'clock every day to watch Batman. I mean, I never missed it. I, it just, yeah. I loved it. It was, it was a great so, show. So good. Happy birthday to Lee Merriweather. I'm almost done. we got a couple of more, and then we're going to move on to our Star Trek news segment. We want to say happy birthday to Jeremy Crichton, who played Lord Elling in the TNS and the DSC Discovery episode, um, Vaulting Ambition, and uh, what's past is prologue. And what makes that interesting is, if you guys remember the episode, uh, his life gets spared uh, by Emperor Giorgio. But then... Mm-hmm. He gets killed in past prologue yeah. uh, by uh, Michael Burnham. Uh, right. This thingy. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he, he, he dodges a bullet the first time we meet him. Not so lucky the second time we meet him. 
Uh, and that was all in the mirror universe, by the way. So happy birthday. It was. Him. But his, his outfit, cool. I will say, is amazing. Like his, his like red and gold top that almost looks like armor is just like, oh, man. I love the mirror universe costumes in Discovery. They're so good. Yeah, that, that, was, that was pretty cool. And uh, here, here's a really good one. We like to say happy birthday to Joan Collins. Now, if you guys don't know who Joan Collins is, is what are you listening to this show oh, for? You wait. Really? Uh, Joan oh, Collins played, played this, this in this little seldom heard of, very rarely talked about, one of the most unpopular shows, uh, episodes of Star Trek. I think it's right up there with Spock's brain uh, sitting yeah. on the edge of forever. I mean, Harlan so Ellison bad. wrote it and wanted nothing to do with it. It was so bad. Joan Collins played Edith Keeler in the episode, but she regrets that decision every day of her life. It was such a bad episode. Um, and that's the episode where Carl shows up, actually. We find out that the Guardian of Forever is actually named Carl. <laughs> uh, so happy birthday to Joan Collins, Edith Keeler from the TOS episode, City on the Edge of Forever. I think that most fans would put City on the Edge of Forever up there with at least in their top five best episodes. I know. Yeah, I it's so good. It's so good. And the, the whole, I mean, it's so good for so many reasons. There's like all this morality stuff to it. And there's all this like changing the timeline, but then there's also her character and like what she's trying to do socially right there too, which also makes kind of a social statement. I mean, it, it's one of those episodes that just kind of hits on multiple levels. Um, if you've never seen, or if it's been like more than a year, since you've seen City on the Edge of Forever, you should go back and watch it again because it's really good. And what's what's interesting about it is everything that she's preaching is the Federation in the future. But in order for that future to happen, well, it, it, yep. I don't want to. Yeah, don't say anything. I don't, I don't want to tell you about but just it. Know, but, just know that it's a standard t- kind of Star Trek story where the timeline has to happen the way it does or things don't happen the way they do, yep. right? Like, yes, excellent episode. Really, really good. Happy birthday to Joan Collins. I uh, would also like to say happy birthday to David Ajala, who plays Cleveland Booker on Star Trek Discovery. And I love his cat. I think I Grudge is book. awesome. And, and Grudge. Uh, I, I can't <laughs> wait to review the Grudge book on Booknook. I think it's going to be know, great. It's going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll have maybe I'll have AJ join me for that one, and he can sit here and go. share his no, opinion. No, we'll steal your headphones, man. Don't let him do that. <laughs> He'll run away with them. <laughs> and uh, the last birthday that we have for this week, I always put I always I do the Klingons last. We don't have any Klingons, uh, but we want to say happy birthday to one of the most talented actors uh, that I've ever seen, and he's been on so many shows he has brought to life so many incredible characters and oddly enough no one knows what he looks like um, because he's <laughs> always buried under so much makeup uh, for us for star trek fans we're fortunate enough to have him because he plays the incredible through on star trek discovery and um, i was so glad that in um in the episode sukal they gave mm-hmm. Doug Jones his due, and he got to do a scene without his makeup. So all of the fans got an opportunity to see what Doug Jones looks like in the flesh. And yeah. it was difficult for him to be Saru without the Saru costume on. 
uh, because so much of his is overacting through the makeup and so much of the character comes through in the makeup. Um, but he pulled it off really well. And I was glad that fans got an opportunity to see what Doug Jones actually looks like without the makeup. So happy birthday to Doug Jones and keep up the good work on Star Trek Discovery. And now we're going to Star Trek News. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level 9 authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. Black alert. Black alert. So I start off with our first story this week. And uh, before we talk about all of our news stories, all the news stories that we're going to talk about on tonight's show can be found on our Facebook page in their entirety. I just go through them and kind of pull out some of the information, the relevant information that I think but you can read the articles in their entirety on our Facebook page. So the first article is entitled, Anson Mount says, Star Trek Strange New World is off to a smooth start despite protocols. While in Toronto for production for Strange New Worlds, Anson Mount revealed that they are about halfway through shooting the first season and says he's happy to be on set after spending a year at home during the pandemic. He goes on to say, The last time I was at home for a year was my junior year in high school. Everyone's glad to be back at work, he reports. Mount did note the difference that impact the show, how the show was shot and life offset as well. The lockdown in Ontario means less socializing with the cast, as Mount laments. Normally, I'd be throwing barbecues. He sounds like such a cool dude, doesn't he? Uh, The actor explains how his interaction with the cast, including new actors, is limited to the work. COVID protocols make everything take longer, but you get through it and it's weird trying to get to know your cast only on set. However, despite everything, it's been one of the smoothest starts I think I've ever seen in television. We're really happy with the material. We're all having a good time together. Mount, who is a fan of Star Trek, has recently praised the more episodic format of Strange New World, saying it feels more like classic Star Trek which he sees as being founded on the big idea of the week. Star Trek Strange New World is expected to arrive on Paramount Plus in 2022. And Eric, you've got our next story. Yeah, if you are a fan of Peters from Army of the Dead or Jet Reno, you'll be happy to know that Tignataro is returning as Jet Reno in Season 4 of Star Trek Discovery. Star Trek 4 of Uh, Season 4 of Star Trek Discovery started production in November of 2020. While writing for the series has wrapped, filming still continues, and returning for the new season is comedian Tig Notaro. The comedian enjoys balancing her stand-up shows with her Star Trek role, as the show's schedule is surprisingly flexible. She said, one of the fun parts about Star Trek Discovery for me is that they let me just pop in from time to time. Often I hear things like, oh, they don't use you enough, or how come they're not letting you? I'm like, Star Trek lets me do whatever. I have a full career doing stand-up and other projects, and the fact that they're so flexible with making my schedule works. I love Star Trek Discovery, and I'm excited about the new season. And I have to tell you that I, for one, am excited for the return of Jet Reno because uh, I wouldn't mind just a little bit more Reno, you know? She's she's pretty cool. Oh, definitely. And, 
And her dysfunctional relationship with Tilly and Stamets is just, it warms my heart. I love it. <laughs> I, yeah. I do, too. I, I, I like how snarky she is with Stamets. It kind of reminds yeah. me of the Spock-McCoy thing on, that we saw on TOS, because I know that under all that snarkiness, there's actually some camaraderie and, and some really deep friendship because the one scene where she goes to see Dr. Colbert when she gets a hangnail and tell, you know, yeah. you know the scene I'm talking about when she's like mm-hmm. talking to, to Dr. Colbert about losing your loved ones and we get to hear about how her wife died and blah, blah, blah. Uh, it just goes yeah. to show that there's more there than just snarkiness. I, I love what they've done with her character. She's incredible. Yeah, that's the that to me is the best part of her character because Stamets remember was the snarky one, right? He was the one that was always giving Tilly business and always a little bit sour, particularly after all the stuff that went down with Colbert. And he needed somebody like Jet Reno to come in and out snark him to actually get him to kind of bump back in the more compassionate direction. You know, like she was such an integral part of the character development of Stamets. I feel it just like she's not on screen that much, but in the moments that they bring her in, they're very important moments that that kind of like turn Stamets around, or or you know, maybe even give him a different point of view, which I think is just, I think it's great. I love it when a character compliments other characters on the show, and they've used her sparingly, but she's been used very well on the show. Yes, I, I agree completely, and she listens to Prince. So, she does, which, there you go. which of course, I mean, Prince is like free and he's right up there, man. He's like top 10, so, my all time. For cool. sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Charles, you've got an interesting story for us. Yes. And Jim often talks about this as it's coming around. Uh, this has actually been out, but you had to find the right places to see it. But how Star Trek legend... Michelle Nichols helped to shape a diverse future for NASA. As iconic return to her, the actress made television history with the portrayal of a 23rd century communication officer aboard the USS Enterprise in Star Trek. It was one of the first times a black woman was cast in a position of power on TV. And it was in a science fiction series, no less. Lutenda Hura may have been a fictional but on-screen authority with a futuristic world held immense influence at a time when black Americans were fighting for civil rights in 1969. The United States successfully landed two men on the moon. All eyes were on the future space flight. But the growing field had also a glaring deficiency. There were no women and there were no minorities in the space program. And that's supposed to represent the whole country, Nichols told CNN in 2014. She recalled thinking, not in a day and age, we just absolutely cannot have that. I cannot be part of that. Listed by NASA in in the late 1970s, Nichols set set out on a new mission to help recruit women and people of color in a space race. I'm going to bring you many qualified women and minority astronaut applications for the position. Her work helped bring aboard Gillian Buford, the first African-American to go into space, and Sally Ride, 
the first woman to fly in space. Maeve Tennyson, the first African-American woman in space, also points Pickles as her source of inspiration. And if you have not gotten a chance to see this, then as soon as it comes out in Paramount, you have to see it. You get a history of Michelle we've not seen before. And her story with NASA is fascinating. I love the story. It was glued, glued to the TV the whole time. And she, you think she's impressive now. When you see what she did with NASA, you're like, that woman had a lot of strength and just a lot of, a lot of, a lot of just energy to sit there and change the program. And I think she changed the program. She may have not yeah, gotten a chance to get out to space herself, but she changed NASA. And it's not in the article, but the name of the documentary that they're referencing is Woman in Motion. In Motion. Yes, and, and it's, it's, it's coming out, or actually it might already be out on Blu-ray. Yeah. I, I think it's I think. coming out in June oh, on Paramount Plus. Yeah. Oh, Paramount Plus. Yeah. Oh, nice. It's coming out in, it was originally on Amazon and for a little while on Amazon, and I think it was on one other place you could rent it. But I'm happy to see Paramount grab this and said we have to we have to show it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm it's glad really that they are. It's interesting it's to see what I mean, influence of Star Trek had on NASA. Yeah, I, well, that's the thing that I just think is fascinating because you know when I was a kid, it was because of science fiction primarily. I think that I wanted to be an astronaut, you know, and obviously I didn't go do it, but it doesn't mean that it didn't influence my interest in science throughout school or or any of that other stuff. And, and yeah. you know, NASA is a huge part of that. The fact that, you know, we had the space shuttle back in the 80s, man, that was like the, the highlight of uh, yeah. American space exploration, you know, in some ways. I mean, except for the... And they named, it, they named it Enterprise after a bunch of fans petitioned NASA, and they named it oh. Enterprise, and the whole cast was there, including yep. Gene Roddenberry, uh, when, they, when they christened it Enterprise, which was really exciting. I remember. Yeah, uh, yeah, that that was really something else. I and I love the. Um, there's a really famous picture of uh, the two space shuttles, Enterprise and Discovery, facing each other, which of course just has great implications and is often shown right alongside the episode of uh, Discovery where the Enterprise and Discovery first see each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's pretty cool. <laughs> I, I have not seen this documentary yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, it's three bucks on Amazon. So. Yeah, it's it's good. Or free on the Paramount, Paramount Plus when it comes out. There you go. Yeah, have you seen it yet, Eric? Yep. Uh, yeah, I saw it on Amazon. I, I went ahead and rented it, and I watched it. It was really good. We should review it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think I think we definitely will. Yeah, I, I, it's it's not on Paramount Plus yet, though. I I didn't. Not yet. I, don't, no, I think I it comes out in early June. Yeah, yeah, it's coming. Coming soon. Yeah, I'll definitely mm-hmm. we'll we'll definitely have to. Uh, I'll watch it and we'll do a quick review for sure. So what are we what are we up to here? 
Yeah, ah, three minutes left. Talk about lower decks, Jim. Yeah. yeah. We, we've got three minutes left, though. I don't think there's enough time to, uh, to do that, do you think? Nope, I do not think so. So let's... <laughs> yeah, so... Let's, so for wanna, three minutes, we're going to sing and dance, yada, 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 yada. That's right. Well, I was just trying to think about what we could go back to, and I, I, you know, I can't help but think that Jim talked about Pike earlier, and we were, we were talking about um, just how good uh, Anson Mount's Pike is. And, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting about his Pike is that in some ways, um, I feel like Star Trek uh, and the writers, the showrunners, Kurtzman, all those folks, were sort of taking Discovery in a slightly – um, in a in a in a 21st I'll call it a 21st century direction, um, which I do think is a different direction from the 90s Star Trek and the 2000s Star Trek that we saw, uh, and it's interesting to see Anson Mount uh, coming in as kind of the um, I won't say the counter to that, but the balance to that in some ways. I think that there has been a lot of of uh, folks out there who have said, well. You know, I don't necessarily like the newer Star Trek. It feels dark to me or it feels this or that. Um, and I think that's okay uh, because everybody's got their own thing. And the nice thing is that he's going to provide a, a balance to that. What I'm really interested in is when Discovery and Strange New Worlds are out at the same time, is Strange New Worlds going to outpace Discovery in terms of ratings? Is that, is that going to happen? Uh, and if it does, what does that say? Like, what do you think that says about the direction that Star Trek will take in the future? Now, this is a more than three-minute discussion, but that's kind of what I was thinking about related to Strange New Worlds today. Well, well, let me see. Let me look at my okay. clock here. Let me look at my clock and give you an answer that will fit the time we have left. How does that sound? Okay. I was going to say something. Bye. <laughs> something that so, definitely, I, wanna... I believe. Go, Go ahead. ahead. I don't want to cut I was you off. Say something, something that makes it, I think, interesting with he talks about the restrictions. I wonder if that's also limiting the practical jokes. Mm. They can't do the practical jokes either. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Well, I, I want to say in the last minute and 30 seconds that I don't think that's going to happen because – so far, each and every Star Trek series that we've seen has been completely different and and geared towards a different um, audience for each series. They're not all exactly the same, and they're not all targeted at the same audience. And for that reason, I think it's it's not going to matter. I think that all of your 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 I hate to use this word, but all your old fans that that are looking for episodic, they're going to love it because they don't like this method of storytelling so i think it's going to be targeted at different audience but different is not bad so i don't think it's really going to make any difference i think you know you still have picard you have discovery you have strange new world you have prodigy you have lower decks and they're all different and they're all part of the family so um i I hope i hope that strange new worlds takes off and it's super super popular i love anson now but again it's going to be a different type of a show and as long as star trek can be different and uh, and constantly change and keep with the times, I think that's a good thing. Change is always good, although fans might not think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
No, I mean, variety is good. I think variety is the spice of life. And what we have right now is unprecedented, like literally in history, unprecedented precedented variety of Star Trek shows. Um, and so I think that is, that's what makes Star Trek 21st century these days. You know, there's just a lot of choice out there and you can, you can watch any or all of it or none of it or whatever you want to do. And there's something out there that fits your taste. Yep, there is. Listen, guys, we're going to take another quick commercial break. This time we're going to hear from my buddy, TJ at Freakopolis Geekery. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Freakopolis Geekery, the premier upstate New York comics and game shop. Centrally located between Saratoga Glens Falls, Ticonderoga, and Rutland, Vermont, the Geekery is a haven for pop culture and science fiction fans. For Star Trek fans, the Geekery features board games like Ascendancy, as well as awesome gaming titles like Star Trek Adventures RPG from Modiphius, Star Trek Away Team Zero Clicks, and of course, Star Trek Attack Wing Ship-to-Ship Tactical Combat for the Tabletop. The Geekery hosts casual play sessions, learn-to-play sessions, and sanctioned organized play tournaments with limited edition prize support. You'll also find comics and trade paperbacks at Freakopolis, including Star Trek titles from IDW. Lots of issues are in stock, and special orders are no problem. Whether you visit in person by shuttlecraft or beam in online to Freakopolis.com, you'll find yourself right at home at the Freakopolis Geekery. And we're back. So uh, let me see. Let me get to... Yeah, we're back. Can you guys hear me? Oh, yeah. Okay. So uh, we're up to what story now? We are talking about Lower Decks with Jim. Okay, let me get down there. Well, I'm for some reason I'm stuck on Tig- Tignatero. <laughs> there we go. So, Star Trek Lower Decks showrunner Michael McCann discusses his desire to work Wesley Crusher into the series. I would love to see that happen. Star Trek Lower yeah. Decks creator creator Mike McMahon wants to bring Wesley Crusher back to to uh, the series at some point, but only if it makes sense to do so. Bringing legacy characters back has been done before. And it will be done again. The first season saw several classic Trek characters making an appearance, and we're expecting more of the same on uh, Lower Decks, making sure that their story not only fits within the Star Trek canon, but that it does wildly change the arc of a character. As far as bringing Wesley Crusher onto the series, McMahon said that he's still looking for an elegant way to make that happen. Part of this lies in the uncertainty of the character's future, after, after Crusher left the Enterprise-D with the Traveler in TNG's final season, audiences only see Crusher once more in the opening of Star Trek Nemesis, and nothing more is learned about the character and what became of him. That ambiguity, 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 <laughs> there you go. yeah, that thing, uh, <laughs> may be McCann's backdoor into bringing Wesley Crusher back. He said... I just love Will Wheaton, and I love that character, and I would love to find a way to not step on what exists with that character. McMahon said, calling the earlier Star Trek series the rule books for writing Lower Decks. The second season of Lower Decks is set to premiere in August. I think it's August 12th, actually. Uh, But you can catch up on the first season available streaming on Paramount Plus or catch it on DVD, Blu-ray, or limited edition Blu-ray steel box. And Charles, I have a special story here for you, which yep. I bumped from last week, and uh, this is just right up your alley. Yes, it is. 
a lot of fans, unless they've actually seen me on the Facebook page and actually pay attention to my avatar, may not realize that I'm also a very big Peanuts fan, a.k.a. Charles Schultz. But I found an interesting article on one of the Star Trek pages about eight links between Star Trek and Peanuts. Series is a pe- both both had film series at Paramount in the late 70s. In 1977, Paramount took over releasing the Peanuts theatrical film starring with Ray Life Kelly Brown. By the time work had commenced on Star Trek, the motion picture. Number seven, Dale Hale. Among the folks who helped revive Star Trek as an animated series in 1973, was storybook artist Dale Hale, who had at a point years experience in animation. He had gotten rolling as an artist working as an assistant in the studio of Peanuts creator Charles Schultz in the late 50s and early 60s. Number six, and I love this, Whoopi Goldberg is a Peanuts fan. Whoopi Goldberg, who played the bartender Guinan in Star Trek The Next Generation, is a major Charles Charlie Brown and Friends. Not only did she host the Peanuts 50th anniversary special Here's to You, Charlie Brown in 2000, 2000, she also had much more personal connections. A tattoo of a little little bird Woodstock has been on her chest since 1977. <laughs> Number five, Snoopy's brother is a secret Star Trek fan. Spike, Snoopy's brother, who lived in the California desert, was shown watching Star Trek in two strips in 1978. That's awesome. In fact, I've heard there's an interesting side story on that one. Woodspock. For years, California city of Santa Rosa celebrated being the home of Charles Schultz's studio via summer events which, uh, which dozens of artists would all be given the same statue of Peanuts characters to adopt in their own artistic way. In 2006, employees of Analysis Instruments Company, Allegiant, turned that year's Woodstock statue into Woodstock, placing him aboard the USS Snoopy. Number three, both have been used to remote NASA. The U.S.'s National Air and Space Administration has repeatedly taken the goodwill towards space exploration that Star Trek generated and brought to their own efforts, most notably with, by hiring Michelle Nichols to help recruit astronauts and bring some of the enterprise diversity to the space program. Subpoena partnership is most visible in the form of Snoopy in space. The animated series that NASA used to show STEM concepts as well as the space station life for the average beagle. Number two, both have NASA spacecraft named after them. The first space shuttle in NASA's fleet unveiled in 1976 was named Enterprise. A request given 
by President Gerald Ford after Star Trek fans campaigned for it. This was seven years after the flight of Apollo 10, which in everything but landing the test flight for the first man, first man trip to the moon, Apollo 10 had a pair of modules that separated the lunar space, mo- uh, space module, command and space module named Charlie Brown. This mission was successful. In fact, 10 was the final test so that Apollo 11 could actually land on the moon. Snoopy has flown the Enterprise. Snoopy, in his imagination, has often become the World, One, World War I flying ace, flying a soap camel fighter that just happens to look a lot like a doghouse. Just on one occasion, though, instead, instead boldly, where no beagle has gone before on February 7, 1972, when Linus voices concern that Snoopy must be bored just sitting on his doghouse. Snoopy responds, taking a pose like he's sitting in the captain's chair and thinks, who, who would get bored flying the shit Starship Enterprise? <laughs> That's so good. That's such a good comic. Yeah, but... But who knows how much how Star Trek and Peanuts had so many connections? There's a lot of them in there, and I love the one where in the strip uh, they're actually watching Star Trek. I mean, there's so many yep, really strong right, connections there. Star Trek. Yeah, and with the Apollo 10 connection, like you were saying, being the final um, thing before the Apollo 11, that's a big deal um, to have those two yeah. modules named Snoopy and Charlie Brown. That's pretty cool. Yep. Yeah, that is neat. And, uh, of course, I love Anson Mount. So this next story, uh, Star Trek Pike's spinoff can finally bring back a missing Discovery villain. The upcoming Star Trek Strange New Worlds was the perfect opportunity to re-team Gabriel Lorca, the mirror universe villain from Star Trek Discovery, whose prime universe con apart remains missing. Strange New World is being marketed as a spinoff of Discovery and as such theatrically has access to any characters introduced on that show, including villains like Gabriel Lorca. Although Mira Lorca was ultimately killed by Michael Burnham. Um, so, yeah, that's the, the, my God, that scene was so awesome when Michelle Yeoh <laughs> kicks him in the face yeah. and he's standing behind her. Oh, my God. If you haven't seen that, you've got to go and watch it. Awesome. Um, oh, I'm getting off track here. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> his death does not preclude the possibility of the character's return. This is because the Prime Universe Lorca was never confirmed dead, only missing somewhere in the Mirror Universe after he switched places with his counterpart. Jason Isaacs has said on multiple occasions he is interested in returning, although he has remained tight-lipped and any possibility of that happening. It would not be such a stretch for Star Trek Strange New World to continue to offer a second chance to other characters, including Prime Universe Gabriel Lorca, whose story deserves to be explored. I agree completely, and we said this before. Actually, uh, one of the books that we read. Yeah. Um, at uh, what was that? I one? think it was Drafting I Masters. I think it was, was, yeah, was, was the Lorca book. Yeah. 
the the Lorca book were um, was incredible because Drive you read the, the whole book at the very end of the book. If you've read the book, don't read it all the way to the end because there's three pages that were stuck at the end, and in those three pages, Prime Lorca wakes up in the mirror universe and he's alive and well and living there. And and um, was it uh, David Mack that wrote that book or was it Dayton yeah. Ward? I don't remember. David Mack book. Yep. We had them both on the show and I get them confused, but he said that when he finished the book and turned in the final draft, they said, that's great. We love it, but we need you to add a little prologue in there. So they made him write those three extra pages to, to get Lorca in there. So that tells Pete. me that, the, that the, they have plans for Lorca at some point in time. So what yeah. they are, we don't know. But when I read that book and, and he popped up at the end, I was like, yes, because I think a lot of fans want to see Lorca. I know I do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. So, I mean, we uh, want to know like how the prime Lorca compares to the mirror guy that we know so well. Right, because we all—it's the first time they they pulled the bait and switch on us. We got to know the bad guy, not the good yeah. guy. And now Spoiler you alert. know we want. Yeah, we want to <laughs> see what the good guy is really like. Yeah, absolutely. And this last story that we have, I just found it yeah. yesterday. And I had to throw it in here for Eric because it takes place uh, in a place very familiar to Eric. Eric, what is our final news story for the night? Yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to go see this over the next couple of days here. A new arena for Star Trek musical theater in Oregon. That's right. Mixing two of my favorite things on the planet, Star Trek and musical theater. Most fans identify Star Trek as a television ser- series, and some may say that it might just be as important as a film franchise. But one medium that might be seen as overlooked is the realm of live theater. While all other versions of track written, filmed, or video games can be started and stopped at will, the theater is the only version of Star Trek that is in the moment only. It just so happens that the spirit of live theater and track are alive and well at a small school in Oregon. Thanks to the work of faculty Dr. Christina Chris Alabak, and Jason Heald, Umpqua Community College, are now presenting Arena Gorn Superstar, in person and online. As the name hints, the performance is based on the classic Trek episode, Arena. Fans know this one well, and even non-fans have some idea of what happens during Arena. It's the episode where Kirk fights the green-skinned Gorns as the Metrons watch and judge. Fans will notice that most of the cast of Arena Gorn Superstar are women. Alabek says that she did not want her troop to impersonate or imitate the Trek actors. Quote, it's our interpretation of Trek. Alabek told Trek Report, it's not necessarily making fun of Trek. It's a love letter to Trek. The show, which will be streaming on the Umpqua Community College Theater Facebook page this Saturday at 6.30 p.m. PST, noted that Ariel Hicks and Kirk are both terrific. They report that Gavin's Pike Gorn will leave audiences giggling and that the show will, quote, make you stand and applaud. I just have to say, I am very excited about this. I looked up their Facebook page. Uh, They have been running this show uh, since the 21st of May. Uh, They have a show uh, in two days on Saturday, 
and they have another show on Sunday. Uh, so uh, out at Umco Community College for 10 bucks, who wouldn't go? So if you're in Oregon, uh, join me. I'm going to go see some cool <laughs> Star Trek uh, slash uh, Arena Gorn superstar type of musical stuff, and it sounds amazing. I'm so excited about it. <laughs> well, you'll definitely have to give us a report on it if you get a chance to see it. I will, for sure. So, guys, our phone number here is 646-668-2433, and we're about to talk about the Star Trek Picard book, Dark Veil. And I have to warn you first, before we talk about it... Black alert, y'all. We are about to make the jump to some serious spoiler territory. That's right. If you haven't read the book and you don't want to know about it, I suggest that you go and read it and come back or read it and bop back to us after you've read it and come back and listen to the podcast. So uh, James Swallows wrote this book, Dark Veil, and as I said earlier, it follows Captain Riker on the USS Titan. Now, we did see the USS Titan for real. Well, for real. We did see it in canon uh, portrayed on Star Trek Lower Decks. And so, so, you know, you have that to check out. Deanna Troy is there with him as well. And I guess the crew, Charles was telling me that the crew that they use in this book are taken from the Titan novels, none of which I've ever read. So I I can't speak about that at all. But Riker is on the Titan, and they're cruising around the Romulan neutral zone area. And they're on a relief mission. Because this is a Picard book, obviously – uh, this has a lot to deal with the destruction of um, the Romulan homeworld and the supernova, which we see portrayed in the, the Kelvin timeline. Although that part of the movie happens in the prime timeline, and then the Kelvin goes through the wormhole, and from that point on, it's the Kelvin universe. Up to that point, it's still the prime universe. Some people get confused about that. So that destruction of the Romulan homeworld happens in the prime universe and captain Riker and the USS Titan are on a relief mission and they're secretly dropping supplies along the neutral zone to help the Romulans out. And the reason why they're doing it in secret is because if you guys saw a short trick by the titled children of Mars, um, the artificial life forms, the F eight, I think they were called F eight. The guy had an F eight, stamped on his head. Was oh, that the name of them? That was his name. What were, they, what were they called? Yeah, that was his. They just called him the synth, but they, okay. they, yeah, he happened to be model, or his designation was F8. I don't think that was like a model number. It was just, he was number F8 out of all these guys. Okay, so uh, they go and they destroy Mars, and they kill 92,000 people, and the planet is still in flames at the time of Star Trek Picard. And this novel takes place shortly thereafter, after the synths have been outlawed, after the Mars has been destroyed. So synthetic life forms are now banned in the Federation. And that's where this book picks up. And um, I, I just, I just, okay, I got a couple minutes here before we dive right in. Okay. I just want to say that I think it's pretty obvious to me that James Swallow is a huge Star Wars fan. 
because I don't know if you guys caught it or not, but there was a lot of Star Wars references in this book. They, mm-hmm. they got a little chuckle out of me. One of them that I want to point out in particular, we have a space battle at the end, and uh, the helmsman on the Titan says to Captain Riker, he says, we have, <laughs> we have three marks at 210. You know, like, yeah, how is that a Star Wars thing, Uncle Jim? You're crazy. Because three marks at 210 is what the X-Wing pilots, when they're flying down the trench of the Death Star, call out when Darth Vader shows up with his wingmen and starts shooting them down in the trench. And uh, the X-Wing pilot says, we have incoming three marks at 210. And they say that at least three or four times in Star Wars. And uh, what's funny about it is that three, mar- <laughs> uh, three marks at 210 doesn't mean anything. It's like when, when uh, Han Solo says he made the Kessel run in under two parsecs. It doesn't make any sense. And, of course, they retcon that in Solo the movie. But in Star Wars, three marks at 210, what does that mean? Does that mean three TIE fighters at 210 degrees? I don't know. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, in space you don't have degrees. You have axis. So, Three marks at 210 doesn't make any sense, but it's a great line in the movie, and it's used in this book, which got a little chuckle out of me. And perhaps the biggest chuckle that I got out of this first Star Wars reference is one that everybody will pick up as soon as you read it and as soon as I tell you what it is. But when, uh, when the Titan crew beams down to the, the Jazara homeworld slash ship, um, the security officer says, I have a bad feeling about this. That mm-hmm. line is in every Star Wars movie. That line is uttered. And uh, so to have it in a Star Trek book tells me that obviously James Swallow is a huge Star Trek, a Star Wars fan. And he just put a lot of Star Wars references in this book, um, either as fun or as an homage or to see if people like me would catch it, which I did. <laughs> And I loved it. I just it got a little chuckle out of me when I when I read it. Did you guys find any Star Wars references uh, hidden away that I in the book? Uh, the last one you said was the only one that I noticed. Actually, the bad feeling about this, uh, I didn't catch the first one you said. I thought that was a really good one. But yeah, I, I didn't catch any other ones. You didn't mention them. No. How about you, Charles? Did you catch any Star Wars no. references in the book? I missed no? them. I missed them. I was just reading, enjoying the book, and just missed it as part of it. But definitely a little little Easter egg for people like Uncle Jim. Yeah, I, uh, I, I got to say, I got, I really got into this book. I read, I read the whole book in two weekends up at camp. Once I started reading it, I couldn't stop reading it, and I would just sit out in the deck with my dog and read and read and read and read and read on my Kindle. I love it, and I. uh, Started it two weekends ago, finished it last weekend, and then actually started reading Wonderland, the new Una McCormick book. So I loved it. I enjoyed it. And I thought it, it moved at a really good pace. It was really engaging. And um, it, it didn't – how much time do I have? It did really, to me, feel like a Picard book, though. I mean, Riker and Troy and the Titan – you know, we saw them on Star Trek Picard. That's true. 
And on Star Trek Picard, they do talk about Thad, but we don't actually see him because by the time Picard happens, he's, he's already passed away. Um, there were some ties to Picard, as I said, with the Romulans and the neutral zone and what's going on. There's another big tie-in, which I won't spoil. I'll let one of my other co-hosts get to that one. And uh, Riker does talk to Picard uh, near the end of the book on subspace. But overall, to me, it didn't feel like a Picard book. It felt more like a Riker, Troy, and Titan book to me. Not, not that that's a problem. I'm not, I'm not dissing the book because of that at all, because um, I loved it. It just didn't really feel like Star Trek Picard to me. And with that, I just got it in there. See that? With that, we have to take our final commercial break of the evening. And that means that we're going to talk a little bit about Star Trek, the 55-year mission in Las Vegas. So I've never been there. I'm looking forward to going there, um, meeting Charles, because I've, I've talked to Charles on the radio for all these years, but he could be sitting right next to me, and I wouldn't even know. So I, it's going to be so much fun to meet Charles and to meet all of you guys. Um, all the all the people that donated to our fundraiser, please stop by the table and say hello. I'd love to meet each and every one of you, get a picture with you guys, put it on our Facebook page. But Charles, um, what can people expect at the 55-year okay. mission in Las Vegas? You're going to, uh, especially if you want the full fan experience, you're going to be busy all day and all evening. First thing you're going to run into is you're going to have a panel. We have the main stage, which holds up, I'm not in Pikes Repository. Two to three thousand people can sit in the main room. You will have stars, celebrities, yes, all kinds of people who will show up on stage. You're going to learn about the stars. You may learn about makeup. You may see you may see a pair of Ferengis on stage. You may see a pair of Klingons on stage in makeup. You're going to see a lot of panels, a lot of things. And every panel is going to end with a short question and answer session for a few lucky fans. You're going to get a lot of interesting information. They may talk about the new shows that are coming out. They may talk about what's coming up. One of my favorite, one of my favorite scenes from two years ago, with Jonathan Frakes walking on stage with a T-shirt that says, "Don't ask me, I signed an NDA." And for those fans that don't know what an NDA is, that's a non-disclosure. He can't talk about it. He can't. He could not talk about the cards. They could sit there and say little things, but they really couldn't say anything about the car. And that's, that's one theater. In previous years, we had three theaters going on. We had a CBS All Access one that was oftentimes little minor uh, panels. It's going on. I know that's where one year, or for a little while, they were recording stuff for what we left behind. You may have different news going on that. You got a third stage. It's going to be special, specialized uh, panels. 
the women of Warp. Uh, IDW will have their main presentation at that one. So you never know what's going to be at these different different shows. Then in the evenings, they have all kinds of events. There's going to be a karaoke night. There's going to be a concert coming in the Saturday, Saturday Night Gala that's including Nevada Pop. And several Star Trek people are going to be involved with that one. I'm not sure if I'm going to make that one as a la carte tickets are $75 each. So I may have to think hard about that one. But that concert usually is very good. And I'm not sure what all, but there's going to be a lot of events, plus the fact that we're celebrating the 90th birthday of William Shatner, the 100th, anniversary, 100th birthday tribute to Gene Roddenberry. Plus, we're going to be sitting there. I know they'll be talking about um, Lower Decks, especially since it's premiering just about that time. We're going to get news about what's going on with Discovery. You never know who's going to show up on stage and talk about some of these shows. You might even see sneak. You might even see first run sneak peek previews. We never know what's going on. One event we had that. I think a lot of people's jaws just dropped. Is we're all there's going to be a special announcement. We don't know, but there's going to be a special announcement. And we had somebody at one of the um, our showrunner walk on stage. He's like, "I got an announcement to make, but I can't make that announcement. I don't think I should be the one talking about it. I'm going to bring somebody on stage." They can talk that I think could actually talk about it. And who walks on stage? Patrick Stewart. Wasn't he on the calendar? Was not expected to be in Las Vegas at all. He walks on the stage and announces the first first announcement of Picard. The 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 crowd was so loud. The dealers' room down the down the passage down the hall. They could hear the cheer. But you never know what's going to happen at these conventions. And if they want to do a big event, it's either a Star Trek Day, it's going to be San Diego Comic-Con or Las Vegas. And San Diego Comic-Con is going to be after Vegas, which means we've already had our Star Trek days. It's going to be the big announcement weekend. You never know what you're going to find out that weekend. Well, I will tell you one thing. There's going to be a really awesome, really incredible fan podcast represented there, Trek Talking. Myself and the Leslie Hoffman will be at our table. Leslie will be signing autographs. You guys can stop by and meet me. And Charles is going to be bopping by as well. And we'll be there the entire time. So please stop by and say hello. And please visit us on our Facebook page and help us to get there and make this thing as successful as possible. We have a GoFundMe page going on and we could really use your help with, with 51,121 people, you know, a dollar from a small handful of you guys would really help us out tremendously. So please go there, help us out if you can and stop by at the booth and say hello. If you plan on being there, 
So we're back. We're live. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433. We're talking about the Star Trek Picard novel, Dark Veil. So, Eric, why don't you dive right in and tell us what you thought about Dark Veil? Oh, man, there are a lot of really cool aspects of this book that I'd like to highlight. Um, <clears throat> you know, I don't want to give everything away, but here, here are some things that I'll, I'll just say about it. Um, first and foremost, uh, I agree with Jim. It does not feel like a Picard book, and I think that's because Picard as a series is, um, is really all about Picard, right? <laughs> And, and the fallout from the decisions that he's made and his regret and his personal relationships and da 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 So the fact that Picard only shows up at the very end of this book over subspace communication definitely takes it out of the sort of Picard continuum. The only thing that really keeps it there is the fact that this is all happening after Picard leaves Starfleet but before the beginning of the Picard series. So this, this book is kind of sandwiched in that little slot uh, in between there. Um, one of the coolest things that I think uh, is featured in this book is the fact that there's this race of people, the Jazari, who have uh, – there's not that many of them. They're, they number in the millions instead of the billions, maybe just like a million or so people. And they have decided that they are going to get out of town. Their entire population is going to up and leave their planet. Um, and in fact, they find out kind of later in the book when they go to the planet, they, they have basically stripped the planet to build this most amazing um, generation ship that every single member of the Jazari race can actually live upon. And this thing has like different biomes, it has animals, it's got environments, it's got all kinds of amazing stuff. So just that as a concept is something that I've always loved. I'm a big Arthur C. Clarke fan. I grew up reading books like Rama and books about like these gigantic spaceships that could, you know, kind of change the human paradigm, so to speak. And so I love that part of this book for sure. Um, I love that they bring the Romulans into this under the pretense of you have a little bit more information um, in this one area of space uh, than we do. And so we need your help. And so because the Jazari are not part of the Federation, the Jazari are the alien race. They bring in the, uh, the Romulans to kind of help them navigate this one area of space. And therein lies the kind of like uh, the, the, the tension in the story. You've got Tal Shiar. Um, you've got Jat Vash being mentioned, which, of course, is the group that was extremely anti-artificial life um, from Picard. Um, and I don't, I don't want to spoil too much. There's, there are a few spoilers that I could release here, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it simple, and I'll just say that it's important to know that artificial life is a very important part of this story, and I like that as a concept too. I feel like one of the things that Star Trek is starting to do is it's starting to open up our minds um, with regards to things like that. You know, back in TOS, we just had the, uh, the Harry Mud androids. <laughs> you know, that was sort of what we knew. And then TNG came, and we got... Um, the Borg, of course, probably the most famous kind of not, not necessarily artificial life, but, you know, severely augmented life um, that we got in Star Trek. And now we're really diversifying. We're, you know, in Picard, we see offspring of the, um, the Sung type android. Um, we see the synths, which were, of course, precursors uh, of many probably different types of androids. 
And in this book, we get some other types of artificial life that are featured. And, um, and I think it's always interesting to explore stories that center around artificial life. Um, because it really kind of gets into your head and it, and it makes you start to think about things like what does sentience mean? You know, I, I, of course, always go back to Measure of a Man, probably one of the best episodes of TNG ever where they actually define sentience and they use that as a definition um, to talk about data's rights. Uh, I, I, that plays kind of heavily into this story and I really, really like that. I love all the Romulan characters. There's a, there's a fantastic Tal Shiar slash... Jat Vosh operative named Helic, who is a little bit theatrical in her um, zealot, in her being such a zealot against artificial life. But I think that's okay because I think the Jat Vosh kind of came off that way. You think about the people from Picard that were members of that society and they were all just a little bit crazy. Uh, so I think that's okay. Um, and then you get p characters like Mendak, who is a captain of a Romulan warbird, actually a pretty reasonable individual, um, actually has some pretty reasonable conversations with Riker, and they kind of come out together at the end of the story, which I think is really cool. So there's a little interplay of, you know, Federation and, and Romulans kind of working together. And I will say that this book has one of the best space battles that I've read in a long time. James Swallow can write a space battle, man. There are some just fantastic descriptions, just the details of like how the missiles are coming out of ships and how the way they're striking the shields and um, just super detailed and, and very well described. It really kind of gives you the image in your head of what's going on. Um, that being said, I found the character development in the book just a little lacking. You know, there's not a lot of new stuff about any of our characters. We learn a little bit more about Thad. Um, we think Thad's going to die. He ends up not dying. Uh, and there's some cool stuff surrounding that in the story. But, um, you know, not a lot of new stuff about characters. It really is just kind of about the story, the incident, and all of the cool things that surround that. So overall, I give this book about a uh, about an 8 out of 10. I really enjoyed it. It's not the best Star Trek book I've read, but it was thoroughly enjoyable, and I definitely would recommend it to anybody else. Well, you know, I, I agree. I think that um, I really liked I really, really liked the Riker-Troy dynamic. We didn't get to see a lot of that, actually. A little bit on Lower Decks. But we really didn't get to see though them together and him in command, which which I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed. I also really liked Thad's middle name, which I won't tell you guys on the air. I'll leave that as a little mm -hmm. surprise for you to find out when you read the book. But I got a chuckle out of that, and it made me think. Huh, I wonder why they. What is the? Why did they do that? You know. Mm -hmm. Uh, which I thought was great. Absolutely great that they did that. Um, because they don't mention that on Picard. When Picard finds out that he died, that his middle name isn't mentioned. Well, we find out what it is in this book. So you guys will have to read it to find out. But I, I liked it a lot. Um, the Romulan commander reminded me of Mark Leonard's character from Balance of yeah. Terror. You so know, and in fact, I think, there, I think there actually was a line in there it's something like we could have been friends in, an, in another, I think there was a line I, I remember in the book, something along yeah, what he says. Right. Yeah. When, when Mark Leonard blows up a ship and he says something to Kirk, like we, 
we could have been friends in another time or something like that. There's a line very similar to that that this Romulan commander says to Riker. And him and Riker develop a really good relationship together. And I really, really dug that. I thought that was very well written. And to see the Romulans working with the Federation was great. And then also something else that I, I really thought was cool was when the Federation pulls out and Picard resigns, we never really get to see the full implications of that and the full impact of it. Okay, when, when he goes to, um, to that planet and that one Romulan dude wants to kill him and then, you know, he loses his head <laughs> over it. Yeah, yeah we, we get to see that, that the Romulans are pissed off at him. But we don't get to see the full extent. Well, in this book, we do. We, 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 we do find out that the Romulans hold a lot of contempt for the Federation because the Federation made a promise and then they reneged on that promise. So a lot of the Romulans don't trust the Federation because of that. And this particular captain and, and Riker have an understanding. And, you know, Riker's like, well, it was our government that pulled out of the agreement, not me, not what we feel. And that's why, you know, they're, they're dropping supplies and trying to help under the radar as much as they can. And the Romulan commander knows that. And I think, I think that respect that Riker earns from the Romulan is part of what makes that, uh, that character so intriguing and, and seeing Riker deal with all the things he has to deal with. We never really saw Riker as a captain before. Um, we, you know, a couple of episodes, but not really, you know, like Captain Picardish. And in this book we do, we get to see how he learned from Captain Picard, the lessons that he learned and his style of command. And I really, really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, a lot like Eric said, I don't think it wasn't it wasn't as good as Drastic Measures, and it definitely wasn't as good as the Tilly book. But it was it was a very good read. It it went quick. The space battles were great, and uh, yeah, I was I think about an eight is about right for me. I think absolutely. And uh, Charles, you get to bring up the caboose here. Well, okay. A few things that we picked up. No, it's not a Picard. It's not a Picard book. It's a Picard series book based on the series of Picard. And this is trying to fill in many of the holes that we didn't know. One of the things we see, we watch Picard, and we 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 see Kestra. And we hear about the languages, but we don't know any details of why Kestra knows these languages. We don't realize Kestra picked this all up from her brother. Thaddeus was a very interesting boy that we knew nothing about in Picard. So in this book, we got to learn who Thaddeus was. Because we learned about his love of language, his creativity with language. His language, we, this is a five-year-old. This, he was so influential. He got crew members to start using his language. That's how much crew, the crew members loved this kid. He was definitely a bit of an influence on the ship. 
And this is details we didn't get to see in the Picard series. In the Picard series, we learned about the Jot Vosh. Book, we get to see more details of it. Okay, we knew about a couple of people in there. Now we learn about another person in there. And how serious and deadly this group is. It was interesting to see how she, how, how the Romulan secret police sat there and did things. And how the John Bosch kind of worked beyond that. So it was very interesting to see details that we learned from Picard. Oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. But we end up an idea of what happened after Picard got out of Starfleet and what was going on. Yes, I do believe I do agree that we've got a lot of similarities between our Romulan that we have here and Mark Leonard's Romulan. Definitely some similarities. But we also learn about this alien race and what they're going through. Part of the reason they're leaving is because of the threat they feel from the Federation. The Federation doesn't trust artificial life. And they realize that we have to leave because we don't know how people are going to react to us. And I think it's definitely an interesting, interesting viewpoint and interesting how you react to them. And one of the, one of the things that I really was, was interesting was the opener and the closure. I won't specify what happened, but we get an interesting court that gets in here. And it's a bit of a trial. And the trial leads to what happens in the story. The story leads into the result of the trial and how it ends. And I thought that was very interesting to see how such a trial is held and what they'll do. And I really enjoy this book. I actually listened to audio. I listened to it twice. And the second time, it was a little more interesting because they'd say something, and I'd say, oh, yes, that I understand that. I understand what's going to happen because I already know what's going to happen. But I'll give this and I'll give it up to eight point seven. I really do like the book and I like the series as they come across. I can't wait yeah, for the next Picard book because the next Picard book we're gonna learn a lot more about our ship captain. And I think what led him to being who he is. So one of the things about the book that I that I that got me thinking was the fact that 
without I don't want to give the book away, so I'm not going to tell you guys the the big twist, but the Jazara, they're aliens, and they are sent here, as in that they came from somewhere else to um, to our quadrant, and they infiltrate the Klingons and the Romulans and the Federation, and they send spies to all these different civilizations to live amongst the people um, to collect data on them and and then when they collect all their data they decide well we we can't stay here we need to leave so they strip mine their planet as charles said and eric said and they build a giant generation ship and they put all the animals everything on the ship and they're going back to where they came from but we don't know where that is they never tell you in the book, like, are there more of them well, out there? Actually, is there yeah. a civil... they, they tell you at the end of the book where they go back to. So is the implication that there's, like, an entire civilization of them living there? Yeah. Like, like whole, yeah. a whole... Hey, well, I, yeah. There well, is, there is, well... Go ahead, Charles. There is a civilization that they started from, and from there they left off in colonies to different places. Yes. And now they're going to try coming back hoping that there are still people living there. That their civilization still exists. And in fact, this the book references one of the kind of oldest like Gene Roddenberry side discussions that isn't necessarily Star Trek related, but is kind of Star Trek related because of uh, Star Trek, the original Star Trek phase two that was going to happen, but then everything went a little different. They referenced the Andromeda galaxy in this book. And so, uh, you know, we know that there's a whole other galaxy eventually involved. We don't learn much about it in this book, but we know that that is a connection and I thought that was really cool because that's kind of an old school, you know, obviously we had the Andromeda show from, was it the 90s or 2000s? I can't remember. But, you know, with Kevin Sorbo, not a, not a terrible show, not a great show, but uh, based on some Gene Roddenberry concepts. And, uh, you know, even in Star Trek Phase 2, they had talked about the Andromeda galaxy. So I thought that was kind of cool that they brought that into the book. We also had the Andromeda strain with Rock Hudson that came out in the in the mid seventies where a man goes totally to colonize Mars. Um which no. was the Andromeda strain. No, that was Earth trying to research space. They weren't going on Mars on that one. Yeah, that was the that was a, a I disease just finished reading up. that book. <laughs> yeah, it's a Michael Crichton book. Yeah. So I was just I was just trying to figure out the connection with who these being who 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 sent them. Yeah, it's because hard they to had no like recollection too much, but they definitely they had no recollection of who they were. But let's just say that there were a people kind of before these people, and those people we don't know anything about. But presumably, they must have been incredibly technologically advanced because the Jazari themselves are already way more technologically advanced than the Federation is. I mean, they're basically able to bring people back almost from the dead uh, with their technology. So it's pretty amazing. 
Yeah, I, I you can't say too much without spoiling it for people. But yeah, um, yeah it's it's. I was interested in that whole that whole theory because the Zot, the, the Zotvash, they go insane when they when they go to, uh, to and stand around that circle there. What did they call it? The reckoning? What was it? Um, um, the, well, they called them, they called, yeah, I, th- I think it is, it's not the reckoning. I mean, they call the people the destroyers, but I can't remember what they call the moment of the, yeah, kind the, of, the you know, artificial life apocalypse. <laughs> from the yeah, generation. they stand around this circle and then, then their brain is flooded with all these, these visions. And one of two things happens, either they commit suicide because they can't handle it or they go insane and become insanely uh, touched and and uh you know like we saw on picard and they they just have this insane hatred for anything synthetic and they want to go out and destroy it and i you know we don't know really where that came from i mean where did that 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 vision come from who sent that vision yeah, I mean, all yeah. we know about it is that it's very, very ancient, and I think the supposition is that at some point way, 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 way back in Romulan history, they probably developed some type of artificial life that, you know, I don't know if it took over or if it just became more intelligent than they were familiar or than they were comfortable with, uh, but essentially a whole sect – I mean – Romulan society in general is is fairly low tech. We've learned, um, and then of course you have groups like the Jad Vash that are actively like going out and hunting for anything out there that might be too smart that wasn't naturally made. <laughs> Which is kind <laughs> yep. of an arbitrary is kind of an arbitrary line anyway. If you really get into the philosophy of it, um, because it's really a question of sentience in my mind, uh, which of course was discussed as we said in full measure and measure of a man. Uh, but yeah, I, we can't talk too much about the Jad Vash because that's serious spoiler territory. But uh, let's just say that they're an important part of this book. Yeah, absolutely. And guess what, guys? You know what time it is? No. Yep, it's that time again. <laughs> I, I apologize for a little mix-up at the top of the show, but we got it fixed and we got everything in that we needed to. So thanks for hanging out with us and being patient and giving me a time to reprogram the show on the fly so we could get it out there to you guys. We have a really special show. Next week, we are planning on talking about Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. We pushed that out a week because next week, we have a show that you don't want to miss um, because uh, we're going to have a very special guest with us here for the first hour. Tracy Coco is going to be with us. And I have a nice article about her on our Facebook page. You can go read all about her. Um, she played Lieutenant Jay on 106 episodes of TNG. She was in Star Trek Nemesis, Star Trek Insurrection. She's been a Ferengi. She's been a Romulan. She's been all kinds of aliens. And we're going to talk to her for just about an hour. Uh, we're going to do the show backwards. She's going to be on with us for the first hour. And then we'll do our Star Trek news and birthdays and things after after she has to go. So you don't want to miss that same bat time, same bat channel next week. It's going to be a lot of fun. So I want to say thank you so much to Eric for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight. Eric, thank you very much. Always a blast. Thanks guys. Have a good week. 
And I want to say thank you to Charles as well, because we couldn't do the show without you either, Charles. So thank you so much. Thank you. Always enjoy it. And uh, this was episode 352, our special extended book nook edition, where we talk about a different Star Trek book. And this week we talked about Star Trek Picard, Dark Vale. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. And I want to say thank you to each and every one of you guys that's listening no matter where you are, we really appreciate it, whether you're listening to us live right now on Thursday night or whether you're listening to us on Tuesday or Saturday or on Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon. It doesn't matter. We appreciate it, and thank you so much for being a fan. We couldn't do the show without you guys. Please head over to our Facebook page, Truck Talking and Beyond, and uh, tell us where you're listening from. Maybe you'll hear your name in a future fan shout-out. So I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim. And I want to say to everybody, please, stay safe and be good to each other. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Live long and prosper. Can we go already? Yes, fine. Engage. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.